You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. John chapter 18, when Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the brook Cedron, where was a garden into the which he entered and his disciples. And Judas also, which betrayed him, knew the place, for Jesus oftentimes resorted thither with his disciples. Judas then, having received a band of men and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, cometh thither with lanterns and torches and weapons, Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that should come upon him, went forth and said unto them, Whom seek ye? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus uh, saith unto them, I am he. And Judas also, which betrayed him, stood with them. And soon as he had uh, said unto them, I am he, they went backward and fell to the ground. Just think about that. Just picture that in your mind. They say, uh, you know, um, who are you looking for? And they say, well, look for Jesus. Well, I am he. They all fell backwards. <laughs> and that happened twice. Amen. There's something about that name. Amen. He is the great I am. He says, I am he. And they went backward and fell to the ground. Then ask he them again. <laughs> I think Jesus was toying with them here. Just, they're on the ground. <laughs> I just see that. Then ask he them again. Whom seek ye? So now they're getting up. And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I have told you that I am Eve. Therefore, you, uh, to, um, if you seek me, let these men, uh, let these go their way, that the saying might be fulfilled, which he spake of them, which thou gavest me, I have lost none. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for salvation. And I thank you, dear God, for your grace that's come to our lives, allowing us to hear the gospel. And Father, because of it, we have eternal life. We don't deserve anything. And yet, we're thankful that one day, when you come back, we get to see you. We get to be a place called heaven. I do pray for those maybe here, even in this room tonight, that do not know that for sure. They don't know that they have a home in heaven. May tonight be the night that they would just trust you as their Savior. Believe in you for eternal life is my prayer. Father, bless the message. I pray you bless the Word of God. I pray that you would give me your power. For in Jesus' name I ask, amen. The crucifixion of our Lord Jesus Christ is drawing nigh, and the purpose for his life on earth is finally coming into full view. In fact, John 18 and verse 37 uh, uh, tells us, This Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I unto the, into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. You see, Jesus was born to die on Calvary. He was born to die on Calvary as our substitute. He was the just for the unjust. Okay, he was the giver. I was the taker, just like that song said. And uh, he is the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. And here in John chapter 18, Jesus is nearing the time when he becomes the sacrifice for sin. He is about to be arrested and brought to trial. By the way, a phony trial. 
they could not find anything to condemn him until uh, at one point Jesus got, went ahead and helped them. Okay, okay, I am the Son of God, okay? And said, oh, guilty! Guilty of blasphemy. Actually, he was guilty of telling the truth. Okay, I am the Son of God. Say, you guys are having a hard time. Okay, let me help you out. I am the Son of God. Okay, and by the way, he is. And as the story unfolds here in chapter 18, I want us to see some lessons to help us live the Christian life. I guess if we can uh, title the message, uh, it'll be uh, uh, object lessons. Okay, what is an object lesson? Basically, it's, uh, it's a visual, uh, something you see or something that's uh, an object uh, that points to a lesson. Okay, and there are several things here. They don't necessarily tie in together, but some things that help us in our Christian life. And I pray it'll be a help to us tonight as we seek to live for Christ. Object lesson number one is the garden itself. Verse one, it says there, when Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the brook Cedron, where was a garden into the which he entered and his disciples. Okay, so we're doing object lessons right here. Uh, something visual. All right, right here. Here's the garden. Okay. So we got a garden right there. Right there is the garden. Okay. And uh, the garden, by the way, this is the Garden of Gethsemane lo located at the bottom of the Mount of Olives. In verse 2, we see that Jesus and his disciples regularly went to this garden. Uh, John 18, verse 2, And Judas also, which betrayed him, knew the place, for Jesus oft times resorted thither with his disciples. Oft times he went there, okay, with his disciples. Uh, it was Passover time in Israel during the, uh, this uh, passage right here. And uh, uh, Jews from all over Israel have come to Jerusalem to, over the to offer the sacrifice, the Passover lamb. Uh, normally, in a, uh, uh, Jerusalem has a population of about eighty to 100,000 people. But during the Passover week, that population goes really high. It's probably around 2 to 3 million people in Jerusalem. As, uh, Jews all across, all over Israel uh, were required by the law of Moses to offer the sacrifice in Jerusalem. Now, the religious leaders hated Jesus and wanted to arrest him and put him to death, but they feared the people. Uh, so they were very careful not to arrest Jesus publicly. They say, you know what, uh, Jesus was still popular. I mean, people still uh, uh, believed in him, and, you know, they didn't, they didn't want to just arrest him and uh, put him to trial and put him to death because they are afraid of the people. Uh, Matthew 26, verse 3, the Bible says here, Then assembled together the chief priests and the scribes and the elders of the people unto the palace of the high priest, who was called Caiaphas, and consulted that they might take Jesus by subtlety. This is not out in the open, but subtle, subtlety, and kill him. But they said, not on the feast day, lest there be an uproar among the people. So they hated Jesus, but they loved their position more, all right? They were not about to give that away and, allow, and have the people uh, uh, revolt and uh, riot uh, because they arrested Jesus. So they were waiting for the right time to arrest our Savior. So I would imagine that when Judas... Uh, came to, to them, promising to deliver them, uh, uh, deliver Jesus into their hands in private, uh, they got very excited. Really? You know where he's at? 
Yeah, I can take you where it's at. And so, and so they, I would imagine they got excited. It says, now it's our chance. So you know what? Okay, here, let us give you some temple guards and let's arm them and let's go get Jesus. John 18, verse 2. And Judas also, which betrayed him, knew the place for Jesus oft times resorted thither with his disciples. Judas then, having received a band of men and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, cometh thither with lanterns and torches and weapons. Okay, in another passage it talks about uh, swords and staves uh, that, 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 that they were carrying, this man. So Jesus knew about Judas and what he was doing. You know what? Jesus could have just stayed in Jerusalem among the people. He could have just stayed there and guess what? They would not have touched him. They were afraid of him. They were afraid of the people. And uh, he could have just stayed in Jerusalem where the crowds were and would have been saved. But Jesus knew the Father's will. He was supposed to go to Calvary. He was supposed to be betrayed and turned over to the Jewish authorities. And the place where all this was going to take place was at the Garden of Gethsemane. The way to Calvary was through the Garden. And to the Garden, Jesus went. John 8, 29, and he that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this cause came I unto this hour. Object lesson number one is the garden. You see, the garden represented obedience to the will of God. Isn't it interesting that the first time we read of a garden in the Bible, it represented disobedience to God? As Adam and Eve disobeyed God's command uh, in the garden. But this time, the garden represented complete obedience to God's will. Romans chapter 5, verse 12, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, that's Adam, in the garden disobedience and death by sin and so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned for if by one man's offense death reigned by one much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life with by one jesus christ therefore but by one man's offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation even so by the righteousness of one that's jesus the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life for as by one man's disobedience, the Garden of Eden, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one, that's the Garden of Gethsemane, shall many be made righteous. The Garden represented complete obedience to the will of God. You see, God desires that we be like Jesus in the Garden. You know, he prayed, not my will, but thine be done. The Bible tells us in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of man. And being found in, fa in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. In the garden, God, Jesus says, Not my will, but thine be done. Let me say tonight that God has, ever, has a purpose for every person under my voice tonight. 
You know what? Sometimes it's hard to imagine, but yes, God cares about each and every one of us. And God cares about how we live. God cares about every decision that we make. God does care. God cares about us that much. God cares about us living for Him. And God wants us to obey. And whether we believe it or not, God never stops getting us into the place where He can bless us. As I mentioned during the offering time, you know, everything that God does is on purpose. And much of that is so that we can get closer to God. You know, the Lord's Supper is so that we can remember who God is and what He did for us on Calvary. How His, his blood was shed. How His body was broken. And why is that? So we can love Him. We love Him because He first, what? Loved us. The, the offering, the tithes is again to get us closer to Him and realize that He's the great provider. He's the one that gives us everything we have. And we honor Him. And we honor that truth by giving back a portion of what is given us. Everything he does, what a loving God and what a caring God. Everything he does is for us, for our good, so that we can be more like Jesus, so we can get closer to God. Why? Because where God is, is the place of blessing. Amen. God loves us so much, he wants us to be blessed. And God loves us so much, he wants us to be in a place where the blessings are. And it's not away from God. We can't be blessed being disobedient from God. God wants us to be blessed. God cares about us. When we are obedient to Him, He is working on us. And by the way, when we are disobedient to Him, He's still working on us. Because, you see, God never gives up. God has a plan, and God's not going to change His plan. He wants us to be conformed to the image of His Son, and He's going to do whatever He can to get us there. Regardless of what we do. There's never a time when God is not working on us to be conformed to what He wants us to be. He does, he does not leave us to our own devices. He is constantly working because He knows obedience is where the blessings are. By the way, it's up to us to get to the blessings either the easy way or the hard way. It's our choice. But God says, I want to bless you. I love you. I don't want, uh, I don't want bad to happen to you. And I will bless you if you're disobedient. I'm still going to try to get you to that place where you're, you're obedient so I can bless you. But either way, we're either going to go to the blessings, the easy way, or the hard way. But God's plan for our life is to bless us. You see, in Sunday school... Uh, we're looking at the life of Jacob. You know, God's plan for Jacob was to go to the promised land. Uh, Bethel, the house of God. That's where the blessings were. That's where uh, Jacob first built an altar before he left and went to Laban, his uh, brother-in-law, uh, father-in-law. And then stayed there for 20 years and things uh, got sour with his relationship with Laban. And now, uh, you know, his, his, uh, God tells him, okay, I want you to go back to Bethel. I want you to go there, build an altar, and dwell, dwell there. And, uh, you know, and, uh, and because that's where the blessings are. Jacob finally made it back to Bethel after God told him to leave Laban. But you know how long it took him to get back? It took him 10 years. 10 years from Paddan Aram, where Laban was, to Bethel. He met Esau along the way. Remember that? 
He was so scared, met Esau along the way, and, and uh, Esau said, you know what, let me, let, me, uh, uh, send, uh, send, let me go back with you to see our father. And he says, you know what, there's no need for that. Well, let me, uh, let me leave you some men uh, to, to, uh, to, to be bodyguards along the way. He says, no, there's no need for that. You know what, you go back, ahead, go back Esau, to see her, and I'll be there shortly. But you know, after he said that, Jacob, I don't know why, went the opposite way. He went to Succoth. The Bible says he built a house there. And then he went to Shechem and stayed there for years. Here's, here's the thing we need to see, though. Bethel was 30 miles from Shechem. It was a few days' journey from Shechem. And for some reason, Jacob stayed in Shechem. Had he traveled three miles a day, that would be what, 10 days? He would have been there. Had he traveled five miles a day, he would have been there in six days. He was days away, but he stayed in Shechem. You see, Jacob delayed his obedience. It was very clear what God wanted him to do. Was to go back to Bethel, dwell there, Build me an altar. That's what God said. He started out doing it, went the opposite way, and went about 30 miles from Bethel and stayed there for years. His delayed obedience caused his daughter to be violated in Shechem. His sons, two of his sons, massacred an entire tribe, the men. And took captive the women and their children. All because he delayed obedience. All because he delayed obedience. I wonder what God is asking you to do. I wonder where God wants you to go. And you're saying, God, it's okay, I'm close. By, by the way, he had an altar in Shechem. But you don't see worship in Shechem. God, I'm in church. Isn't that close enough? Why do I have to do more? I'm in church. I go to church on Sunday and Wednesday. God, I'm around the things of God. Is, isn't, isn't that close enough? Not if God wants you to go further in serving him. You see, that's what the garden represented. It was a complete obedience to the will of God. Whatever God wants us to do, wherever God wants us to go, God says, I want you to just be willing and go and don't delay. Because you never know what the delay will cost you. It cost Jacob his children. God is wanting to get us to the place of blessings and he's constantly working to get us there because he wants to bless us. Even when Jacob was away from God, God was constantly working. And it was after the massacre that Jacob finally said, okay, it's time. But you know what? That was after what happened to his daughter. That was after the massacre. It didn't have to be that way. He was 30 miles from the blessings. And he stayed. But it's our choice whether we might make it to the blessings the hard way or the easy way. The way of transgressors 
is hard. I wonder where we at tonight. Are you where God wants you to be? I'm close, Brother Pusin, I'm close. But are you where God wants you to be? Maybe college student, God wants you to do a specific ministry that you're saying, God, anything but that. Anything but that. Not that. You're close, but you're not where God wants you to be. And the blessing, by the way, the blessing, the promise to blessing came again when he went back to Bethel. Then God again told Jacob, okay, I will bless you. You can have nations come from your family. Object lesson number one is the garden. Represents complete obedience to the will of God. What is it that God wants you to obey? Perhaps it's this matter of tithing. When are you going to trust God for 10% of your income? When are you going to trust God for that? If you can trust God for heaven, why can't you trust God for provision? When is God going to obey this matter of tithing? How about this matter of getting baptized? They say, yeah, you don't go, you don't go to heaven by getting baptized. Sure. But it is a testimony and it glorifies God when we get into the baptismal waters and, and declare that, yes, I believe Jesus died, he was buried, and he rose again for my sin. So when are you going to start obeying the command to get baptized? If you're here, you're not baptized, get that settled. Because delayed obedience does not get us the blessings. We must completely go all the way. Object lesson number one is the garden. That is obedience. Object lesson number two is the kiss of Judas. And that deals with forgiveness. You know, it's hard to understand the kiss. How's that? The kiss of Judas. It's hard to understand Judas. He's been with Jesus now several years. He has seen the miracles that Jesus did. Uh, he has seen how Jesus behaved. By the way, he, he saw him the way he was. He saw Jesus and watched Jesus. He was so close to the Savior and yet died without getting saved. By the way, may I say, I hope that will not be your testimony. So close to the things of God. Maybe even part of this church, but just going through the motion. And you know in your heart, You've never been born again. I hope that's not your testimony. I'm not trying to get you to doubt your salvation. But you know if you're saved. And you know if you're not. Get that settled as well. Don't be like Judas. So close to the Savior and yet so far. And here at the garden we find Judas coming to look for Jesus. Uh, accompanied by temple guards with swords and wooden club, clubs. Matthew 26, 55. In that same hour Jesus said to the multitudes. Are you come out as against a thief with swords and staves? For to take me I sat daily with you teaching in the temple. And, you had, and laid no hold on me. And just imagine just picture that scene. Jesus is leading these armed temple guards. to asked Jesus how was he going to identify Jesus? With a kiss. With a kiss. Now he that betrayed him gave them a sign, saying, Whomsoever I shall kiss, that same is he. Hold him fast. And forthwith he came to Jesus and said, Hail, Master, and kissed him. 
And Jesus said unto him, Friend, wherefore hast thou come? Then came they and laid hands on Jesus and took him. You know, the kiss was a sign of friendship. In Bible days, men would greet each other with a kiss on the cheek, and family members would kiss, kiss each other on the cheek when they met and left one another's presence. The kiss was a sign of devotion and love for the other person, but not for Judas. The kiss of Judas was one of betrayal. Jesus knew that, but how did he treat Jesus, Judas? Matthew 26, 49, and forthwith he came to Jesus and said, Hail, Master, and kissed him. And Jesus said unto him, Friend. Jesus said unto him, Friend. Wherefore art thou come? Friend. Jesus still called Jesus, Judas, friend. Jesus did not hold a grudge. I'm sure it grieved him. I'm sure he loved Judas. For God so loved the world. No exception. I'm sure he loved Judas. And it must have grieved his heart that one of his disciples would betray him. But when he did, Jesus said, Friend. Friend. In this room tonight, are many whom others have betrayed. And I'm sorry that those things happen. Your father left you. Your mother left you. Your husband left you. Your wife. Someone has betrayed you. Someone has hurt you. But the lesson is forgiveness. Forgiveness. You see, it's our reaction to those betrayals that will determine whether or not we grow as a Christian. And by the way, I'm not saying we go around calling those who hurt us friends and be buddy-buddy with them. That's probably not possible for many. But you can forgive. We can forgive. You know, in a sense, Judas was a friend to Jesus in that Judas helped Jesus get to Calvary. Ever think about that? It was through Judas' efforts that Jesus was arrested. Friend, why'd you come? Forgiveness is accepting that things that happen to us is part of God's plan to get us closer to Him. That doesn't mean there's no hurt. And by the way, some have been hurt when you were young, and it still hurts today. That doesn't mean the hurt will go away. But the Bible still asks for us to forgive. To not hold a grudge. To forgive and go on with life. You see, forgiveness. Ju Joseph was betrayed of his brothers. But you know what he said. But as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good. To bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. You know what? I didn't like it when you did it. But now looking back, I'm here because God was wanting to use me to save my people. I didn't like going through the prison. I didn't like, to be, I didn't like being falsely accused. I didn't like all those trials and hardships. But guess what? Looking back, 
I can oh man, praise God. Hallelujah, amen. I can see the hand of God in all of this. I can see the hand of God in the trials. I can see the hand of God in the heartache. I can see God because God never stops working on us. Now therefore fear ye not, I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spake kindly unto them. You've heard pastors say over and over again, bitterness only destroys its own container. Don't waste your life in bitterness because of what people have done to you. I'm not saying uh, it, it's not a hurt. I'm not saying that at all. But don't waste your life in bitterness because of what people have done to you. Move on and live for God. You know, the betrayal of Judas was God's will. I don't understand it. I don't understand why my father left when I was seven. You better believe it. That's still a hurt. You better believe it. That is still a hurt. I don't understand it. But you know what? It was probably because of that that I came to America. And it's probably because of that that I found this church. And it's probably because of that on September 14, 1986. I was sitting in church under the preaching of Dr. Curtis Hudson. And on that day, he preached about Jesus. And it's probably because of that that I heard the gospel and I got saved. And it's probably because of that that my heart was tender. Nobody had to tell me I was a sinner. I knew that. I knew that I deserved to go to hell. But praise God, hallelujah. Amen, I got saved. I don't understand all of that. But it's probably because that's because I got, that's how I got saved. You just never know. I think when we get to heaven, realize, oh God, you knew what you're doing all, after all. You knew what you were doing after all. You just never know. But it's our reaction to the betrayals that determine whether we are used of God or not. Being bitter will never make things better. Being bitter will never make things better. God knew all about it. I'll just trust him for it. I'll forgive. By the way, I love my father. I pray for him to get saved. I witnessed to him. He's very Catholic. My daughter has witnessed to him when they were there in Texas. He's still it's not ready. I don't hold a grudge. It's still a hurt. But I don't hold a grudge. I wish he'd get saved. I wish this wife gets saved. My two brothers and my sister from that marriage, I wish they get saved. And their children, I wish they get saved. Being bitter will never make things better. Object lesson number one is the garden. Complete obedience to the will of God. Object lesson number two is the kiss. Let's forgive. Object lesson number three is the sword. I think I got one here. All right. There you go. It's the sword. Matthew 26, verse 51. And behold, one of them which were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck a servant of the high priest and smote off his ear. Then said Jesus unto him, Put up again. Put up again thy sword into his place. 
That's important. For all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my father and he shall presently give me more than 12 legions of angels? Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and smote the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Peter thought, oh man, we're in trouble now. I need to do something. Think about this. Who told the disciples to get swords? It was Jesus. But when Peter used it, Jesus says, put it back in its place. He rebuked him. Put it back. By the way, nothing wrong with the sword. It represents our efforts, our abilities, the knowledge, Bible college training, education, and all that. By the way, God is not against those things. Get your sword as sharp as it can be. But here's the lesson God wants us to learn. But the moment we trust in our sword, our abilities, our talents, our knowledge, our education, our resources, God doesn't like it. You see, God wants us always to depend on Him regardless of your sword. You see, Here's the picture God wants us to see. Here's a battle about to begin. And here are the soldiers having their sword. And here's God, what God wants to do. I want you to go fight the battle. But keep the sword in the sheath. You don't fight a battle that way. You fight a battle, you take it out. Yep. Right? No, but God says when you take it out, you're depending on the sword. <laughs> but when you keep it in the sheath... Nothing wrong with talents and abilities and education and training. Nothing wrong with that. But man, it's my battle. It's the Lord's battle. I'll give the victory. And you're not going to get the glory. Yes, get your sword already. But the battle is the Lord's. And God says, you know, God says, Jesus said, how many swords have you? We have two. Okay, that's enough. And Peter used the sword and says, put it back. Put it back. I could imagine Peter saying, Yeah, Peter, put it back. God wants us to always depend on Him. You see, get your skills, get your abilities, get your college education and training, but never trust in them. Trust only. In God. There's a verse in the Bible, it's our verse for the security ministry. The first part is this the horse is prepared against the day of battle. The horse is prepared. There's nothing wrong with preparation. And so they're getting ready for battle. They get the horse. They make sure that it's a horse that will not turn back in battle. That, that's just going to keep going. And they put the armor on and they put the blinders on. So he just keeps going one straight, straight. And the horse is designed to just keep in charging. The horse is prepared. Nothing wrong with preparation. Nothing wrong with studying. And nothing wrong with getting the tools that God can use. But the last part of that verse says this. But safety is of the Lord. The horse is prepared against the day of battle. But don't you trust in that horse. Safety is of the Lord. 
That's why God, that's why God told Peter, okay, you got a sword, that's fine. But you know what, Peter? I'm also here. I'm also here. I'm glad you got the sword. But don't trust in the sword. Trust in me. That's why he says, you know what? Don't you think I can just pray to my father and he'll send 10,000 legions of angels here and wipe everybody out here? In fact, not just these soldiers, right? He'll probably wipe everybody in the face of the earth. I could do that. But that's not God's will for my life right now. But the point is, don't trust in the sword. How do we know when we're trusting in the sword instead of God when we don't pray? We don't pray and we teach our Sunday school without praying. It's my ability to exegete the Word of God. That's why those students are growing. That's how we know we're trusting the, word, uh, the sword. When we don't pray. When we don't spend time in God's word. Seeking his guidance. When we feel we can get away missing uh, church. Instead of being faithful. So much the more instead of so much the less. That is showing God the sword outside the sheath. God says, put it back in its place. Put it back in its place. This represents dependence on God. And that's what God wants us. What's for our lives. You know, one of the victories in Jacob's life was when he wrestled with God and won. I want you to see something, though. When Jacob finally prevailed on God and received the blessing, Genesis 32, 25, and when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, Let me go, for the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. And he said unto him, What is thy name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel, for as a princess thou prevailed, had power with God and with men, and hast Prevailed. Jacob won when God dislocated his thigh. He was wrestling. Now, if you know anything about wrestling and you don't have your legs, you're not going to be wrestling too long. <laughs> Good night. I mean, Jacob was just basically holding a horn. His, he was, his thigh was dislocated. He had no base. But that's exactly when he prevailed against God. Because when he was at his weakest, he was at his strongest with God. Paul said it this way, and he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake, for when I am weak... When I am weak, when I, my thigh is dislocated and I have no more strength, that's when he prevailed and won. When we're at his, our weakest, that is when we're strongest in God. Object lesson number one is the garden. Obedience, complete obedience. Don't go to Shechem. Go all the way to Bethel. Go all the way to Bethel. Second is the kiss forgiveness third is the sword and lastly is the fire is the fire right. 
is the fire. John 18, 15. And Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. That disciple was known unto the high priest, and one went with Jesus, the palace of the high priest. But Peter stood at the door without, and went out that other disciple, which was known unto the high priest, and spake unto her that kept the door, and brought in Peter. Then saith the damsel that kept the door unto Peter, Art thou now also one of this man's disciples? He says, I am not. And the servants and officers stood there, and he made a fire of coals, for it was cold. And they warmed themselves, and Peter stood with them and warmed himself. And when they had kindled the fire, Luke 12, 55, in the midst of the hall, and were set down together, Peter, Peter sat down among them. Other Bible passages have Peter denying our Lord Jesus Christ three times. Why was that? He was hanging around the wrong crowd. He was warming himself with the devil's crowd. And when they asked him, aren't you his disciple? No, I don't know him. No, we've seen you before. Your accent gives you away. Aren't you one of his disciples? No, I don't know him. No, really. I think you are. You are. Bible says, curse and swore. He says, I don't know the man. It's hard to keep your testimony when we are hanging around the wrong crowd. Those who don't care about Jesus. You know, we are to love everyone, but we ought not to be hanging around some people. God says, Wherefore come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord of hosts, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. We've all heard say, pastors say over and over again, we become like the people we hang around with and those we let influence our lives. Object lesson number one is the garden. Complete obedience. Are you in Shechem? Why not go all the way to Bethel? Don't stop short. Where does God want you to be? Is there someone you have to forgive? Have you been living all these years? I'm not saying you, you're not hurt. I'm saying, have you forgiven? Have you forgiven? And then the sword. What are you depending on? Your abilities? How sharp your talents are? Or are you depending on God? Put it in its place, God said. And then who you hang around with will never be the testimony we ought to be if we hang around the wrong kinds of people. Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.